Hi, this is Prophet Terry. Come experience the new you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. That go through the phone of somebody that we love? Who told you to do that? <laughs> now, without a show of hands, we might have discovered why Eve sinned first. I don't know that for sure. It's just a theory. I don't know if men go through women's phones more or... Women go through men's phones more. Now, if women go through men's phones more, that explains why she ate first. Uh huh. One purpose for Satan. Honest reason I say good, that's the only thing he's good at. other than punishing the unbelievers with his chaotic theories thinking that he's smart and that he has caught God not being loving think about it everything Satan does is to make you question God's love Hmm? and then make you feel bad about it after you realize God was being faithful. Think about it. The only thing he does is make you question God's love. How many times has he been in your brain this week? Hmm? In fact, the law began with him. It started with him. Judging love. That religious thing that we do started with him. Judging love. In fact, Paul says, he says, when the law came, sin sprang to life, Satan sprang to life, and he seized the opportunity. So his, his only good purpose, the only thing he's good at is making you question if God loves you. And of course, everybody else on the planet. How many times he been up here this week? So religious love is a love that does not trust. Religious love is a love that's always going through the phone. It's a love that's always doing and wanting something in return. It's always wanting proof. It always wants evidence. It's always trying to work at it. It's never believing. Mm. Yes. It has GPSs. <laughs> private eyes. And what I mean by private eye, I mean you. Uh-huh. 
Now, when we look at marriage, the, the Bible says that, that the wife of the, of the lamb, and it speaks about the, the wedding supper, so that the church is going to be married to the lamb. Right? Now, this is just symbolic. This doesn't technically mean that we are married as in what we understand marriage to be. But marriage typically is just a contract. So it's symbolic. So much so that the instructions, right, in the Bible concerning marriage is that the wife is supposed to call her husband master. And the reason most of us don't have a beautiful Marriage is because we break up with that statement. And we don't read the rest of it, which says, and the man is to love her as Christ loves the church. But the word master kills us. <laughs> Why does it kill us? Satan, why does that bother you so much? Because the only thing Satan is good at is questioning love. And actually, we may have some lovers in the house this morning. The only thing you are good at is questioning the love of someone else. But thinking that you are a magnificent <laughs> lover. <laughs> now since the bride is compared and since the church is compared as a bride, I want to use that imagery a little bit this morning. Because last week I made the statement that marriage will not be in heaven. The Bible says so. There is no marriage in heaven because marriage is a contract. Thus, it makes marriage nothing but religious love. Yes, marriage is a religious love just as we can be a religious church. The imagery is all the way through the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation. Marriage is only a copy of what's going to be in heaven. It's not the real thing. Marriage is only a religious love. In fact, sometimes we get married because we have to. Sometimes we get married because we feel guilty not to. But even in the marriage, it's a 50-50 thing. Hmm? Now, we don't always say, well, they broke the marriage vows. And by the way, vows is a contract. But that's what you're implying. And you're always watching to make sure that there's equal amount of foot rubs. <laughs> Otherwise, a contract is broken, according to Satan. The only thing he is good at is making you question love. Hmm. 
Now, at first you want to say, okay, but, but, but Satan is good at making us sin, but we sin because we stop trusting love. We sin to get back at love. So the whole thing of marriage, and, and, and we all strive for it because we think that's the, the, the epiphany of, of, of love when reality is no love at all. It's a contract. I'm not saying love can't dwell in that. But it's still just a contract. And we treat it as such. We might say that, that you know, family brothers and sisters and mother and fathers we might say that that's perfect love but that's religious too because you know sometimes you've been good to somebody in your family just because they're family because somewhere there's a law that I have to be good the greatest love and God knows this most of all the greatest love is voluntary love where I don't have to love you, but I choose to love you. You will get no greater love than that. I choose to love you. God chose to love us. He loved us before we loved him. There's no greater love. But marriage? No. It don't make it to heaven. It's not heavenly anyway. It is religious. But this is the only kind of love we seem to know is religious love. God created this beautiful garden, put Adam in it, gave him Eve, and then they start to question God's love. We come into the things of Christ and we're excited about coming in just like Adam into the garden, we're excited about it, but then we begin to question God's love. <coughs> Most of us come this morning as lovers of God, but we also have Satan in our heart because we're questioning God's love. We say, I've been cooking, I've been cleaning, I've been providing. But you don't do nothing for me. Religious love. Hmm? But you see the state of my life, you see the state of my house. Religious love. You never trusted love. And without faith... Let's look at something most magnificent. In the Old Testament, we had a temple, an earthly temple that we could see, that we could touch if he was a priest. It wasn't wise to touch it if he wasn't. But it said that this temple and the law was a shadow and a copy, a copy of what is in heaven and a shadow of what is to come. The most holy place in the temple, that's God. The holy place, that's Christ. The, the altar of sacrifice, that's the works of the Holy Spirit. So we have that. And then we come to the New Testament, and Paul tells us, you know, the second one 
which Jesus entered in, not the earthly one. The second one, Jesus entered in, right? That's in heaven. And so it did away with the earthly one, the first one. And it will never be back again. Somebody can build it, but it has no purpose. It will never be back again. And as, I, as I've said many times, I don't know why Christians want the Jews to build a temple. Because you're not going to be allowed in there. You're going to have to stand out there on the hot pavement in the outer court. Because you are Gentile. That did not change. So, here's what you don't know. Is the first temple represented the first marriage. The first covenant. The first contract. The Old Testament covenant. That covenant, that word covenant means contract. It's an agreement. And it was under law. You do this. It was called the law of sin and death. You do this, you do this, and I do this. Right? Yes? Right? You cook, I cut the grass. First marriage. But the Lord wanted us to move to a second marriage. And that law, the second covenant, the second marriage, right? was the law of spirit of life. So the first one was the law of love and the second one was the spirit of love. And that temple is in heaven. Christ entered that temple. The first marriage, man did the work inside the temple. Hmm. Man did the work inside of the holy place. Inside the holy place was the, the, um, the um, menorah, which is the lights, the seven lights, right? They lit that. There was the bread of presence. They did that. And there was the incense. And then once a year, they'd go into the throne room, which is God. But really, God wasn't in the throne room. He just was present. He recognized it. Because it was just a box with some of the things that he had done. There was the tablets of the covenant or the tablets of the contract. Right? Much like marriage. Um, there was the manna. There was Aaron's staff that represented the priesthood. That was in there. But that was all man's doing. They were sacrifices but God never delighted in them although the law required it, we delighted in sacrifices because we, we love to we love to suffer and hurt when we do something wrong. And as I've said many times you would sacrifice an animal but for the Israelites that always meant money because that animal especially if it was out, without spot it had value to it. So it had value to it. And sometimes if there was um, Israelites living a distance off, they would not bring sacrifices. They would bring money and buy livestock when they get to Jerusalem and then sacrifice it. So it was always about money. So we have this first temple or this first marriage that is about law. You do this, you do this, you do this. 
The second marriage that the Lord is bringing us into, we know law and grace, but another way of saying it is, is law and love. The second marriage is one of the spirit of love and not the law of love. The spirit of love is about trust and faithfulness and not keeping records. Mm. See, the law of love is about decency and, and, and how it should work in theory and, and these concepts. But just because somebody's doing all these things for you don't mean they love you. Huh? I've seen my grandmother and my grandfather do things for each other, but I'm not sure how much, you know, love there was. You ever have somebody do th something for you, but, but you don't feel it? Somebody gives you something out of obligation? Huh? It's your birthday. They give you a gift. They don't speak to you the rest of the year. Why did they give you a gift? Did they suddenly remember how much they love you? No, it's about everybody else seeing that I gave you a gift, and it's about you seeing that I gave you a gift. But the spirit of love is altogether different. And that's what the Lord is trying to move us into is the second marriage. We're not married yet, but he's trying to move us into the second marriage. Right? But let's talk about these two marriages and, and these two contracts. Let's, let's talk about these two things. Right? The law of love is a forced love. Anybody ever try to force you to love them? Yes. Or maybe you tried to force somebody to love you. Yes. And then you can't figure out with all your pizzazz, even if you get them to marry them, you can't figure out why it don't work out. Because the, the law of love is this forced love. You know, you can't make nobody love you. Hmm? Yes. I'm still trying to get Faith to speak to me sometimes. And she's this old. I could bribe her if I got food and she'll speak. But if I see her the next day without food, <laughs> now you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Okay, so if I bring a sacrifice of love, you love me. But if I come empty-handed, you don't love me. And ironically, even though we left the first marriage and the first covenant and the, and the earthly temple, we still believe this, that if we come to God with a gift, he'll love us. We still believe that if I don't give to God, he don't love me. Because we are religious lovers. That's the only love we know how to do, give. And we even teach it. If you come to the house of God, bring a gift. Yes, you should give to the house of God. 
Most definitely you should give to the house of God. Not because you don't think God is going to give to you, but you should give to the house of God because you love the house of God. Not because you feel obligated. Now everybody knows I don't have no problem with passing the plate and collecting money, but I don't do that. Because I don't force love. If you love me, you will give to this house. If you don't love me, that's your freedom. I still love you. That's my freedom. So what is the opposite of forced love? The law of love. What is the next temple about? So we got the law of love, which is a forced love, and then we have this spirit of love. See, that's about freely loved. Or free love, freely love. I have the choice. Huh? Yes, it, it, it takes... It takes money to operate the house. That's a given. Mm. You'd be surprised how much electricity these two things eat. <laughs> and we don't operate them when you're not here. We operate them on Sunday morning, Tuesday night, Friday night, special events. Yes. I'm not going to push, push no plate around because I still think that's part of the old church. There must be this, this, this freedom to love. And some of you court as if though you are an Old Testament citizen. Huh? What you going to get? You bowing down, you sucking up to, you're doing all kinds of things to get this person's attention. Huh? Yes. Now I'm not picking on the ladies, but usually ladies don't turn down gifts. Even from ugly men. Or those that they would redeem to be ugly. Are assumed to be ugly. Huh? So men, sometimes we're trying to force somebody to love us. Ladies, sometimes you're trying to force somebody to love you. But why wouldn't we? Because we try to force God to love us. Hmm? Hmm? You're aging a little bit, so you feel like you got to put a little... little force into it. But why wouldn't you? That's the way we treat God. It was Old Testament love and we're still doing it in a New Testament church. We don't receive blessings from God because we think God operates like that. We still have an Old Testament mind about love. We still have this religious love. That's all we know. The thing with religious love and then the thing with that, that forced love. If, if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you. But we're still trying to force it. 
then there's free love, the spirit of love. That's what we're trying to move to. That's the second marriage. That's the second covenant. Huh? Because you could look at it this way. In the beginning, God loved us from the creation of the world. He loved us. But we wanted to prove it. We wanted to earn it. That's what with the sacrifices. The Lord did not delight in it. All he wanted was justice and mercy. Something in us cries out. Let me pay you back for what I did wrong. I'm not going to do evil ever again. Every human has said that and every human has been found a liar. I'm not going to do that no more. And then we try to find some kind of sacrifice to come back to God. The only thing now, we don't kill the innocent little sheep out in the yard. Sometimes we just bring money directly. And that's why sometimes when we give to God, we put it in there and we say, nothing happened. Ain't nothing supposed to happen. You giving money to God is your love to God. Oh no, we got to put math to it. Hmm? We got to put math to it. Honey, you cook, and I give you five hundred dollars a week. We, we got to put some ninety ten to it. You know, we give ten, and they give ninety. Hmm? If we entered marriage with that attitude, hmm? that I'm going to give ninety percent, and you give me ten. There would be no broken marriages. <laughs> but the truth is, true love don't work like that. True love gives, but it don't keep no record of it. See, that, that's a religiousness. Huh? You think you're a great lover. You ain't no great lover if you're going through the phone all the time. Great lovers believe. Why has Satan so twisted our brain? You a great lover? If you're a great lover, that's not talking about your hugs. That's talking about your forgiveness. It's talking about your caring. It's talking about your niceness when they're rude. It's not about how you look in a bikini. It's not about biceps. We are not the great lover that we think. We are more like Satan. Why? Because we are critical of everything that the other party is doing. You are not a good person if you are critical. You are not a loving person. I don't know where, what school you went to and who gave you the degree of your great lover when all you do is question love. 
Because if you are just loving for sake of commodity, that makes you a prostitute. So unless you're trying to get in the kingdom of heaven before everybody else by being a prostitute, because Jesus says, if you love those that love you, what have you done? Meaning that if you love them by the way they love you, then you're no great lover. If you're judging everything the other person is doing and you're judging the creator of the other people. No, no, no. Satan to this day thinks he's a great lover. But the only thing he's good at is questioning love. The only thing he's good at is questioning motive. You say you love Trinidad, but if you love Trinidad, why do you question everybody's motive? Hmm? All the policemen are crooked. All the politicians are crooked. The only thing you're complaining about is they ain't giving you no bribe. But a lover of Trinidad, you are not. Because according to you, you're the only good citizen. In this lovely land. Isn't it amazing how we justify our love with our criticalness? Huh? You could be a high priest except you're not a Levite. So, we got to move from this forced love. See, Job was a part of the forced love. He thought because he'd offered these sacrifices that God had to do a certain way all the time. And as long as God kept the money coming in, Job was okay. As long as God kept the money coming in and God kept the health coming in and everything around him was spitting out offsprings, Job was okay with God. But when Job began to think he was loving more than God, So we try to force God's love rather than believe that we are loved by God. First thing is, I don't know why you're late to the party, but God first loved you. <laughs> How is it you can be late to the party? Maybe you're trying to force God's hand because you know you was late to the party. Or late to the salvation. You see, you're trying to force it. And then sometimes we just give up. Huh? We think God has favorites. Just such a great lover. 
because God has favorites. Let's think about this. In families, and with some of our families, some of the children think that mama and daddy has a favorite. And let's say it's true, but wonder why it's true. Nah, we go we go on here this morning. We don't want to go here, but we go on here. We go on here. I'm not saying there couldn't be something different, but we're gonna go here this morning. So mama and daddy, and so we got the siblings, and they think that one of them is the favorite. Uh, and you start to see those signs, but, but wonder why that child is the favorite. Maybe that child don't judge the mother and the father. Maybe the, maybe the one that's, that feels like they don't have no favor, maybe they're the ones that's always judging. Maybe they started judging the parents in the beginning. The parents said, hmm, I don't know why. I just like this one more than that one. I don't know why. I, 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 I mean, I love all my children, but I don't know this one. I just feel the love. That one over there, I don't know. It's kind of like hugging a porcupine. Maybe because they're judging me all the time. Maybe we come out of the womb critical. Why did I have to come second? Why couldn't I be first? Why did I have to be first? And then Jesus brings this up as well. He says those who have more shall be given and those who have not. What they have should be taken away. Isn't that the same thing? The ones that favor me, I shall give them more. But the ones that says I don't favor them, I'm okay. Let me not disrupt and upset your theology. Or he says it otherwise. According to your faith, let it be done. The disciple John, he always says, he didn't really call his name, but he says, the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> the disciple that Jesus loved. Yes. And evidently Peter believed this too. Because at the table, Peter motions to John, ask him. Because you're the favorite, ask him. I guess that's why a little while after Jesus' death, Peter gets crucified upside down and John lives to be an old man right in the book of Revelation. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Just in theory. <laughs> because that's what religious love does. It judges. It always finds fault. It, it always has a problem. It always has a problem. I heard this little analogy one time. I don't know that it's altogether true. I guess it would depend whether or not if your husband had a job or not. But anyway, it was this aspect that the husband come home late. He leaves early. He comes home late. He drags through the door. 
He kicks his smelly shoes off right there and he sits down. And the wife is complaining because he don't do something with his shoes. <laughs> now, provided your man got a job. If he's just been out smoking weed all day, all right, we got another thing to talk about here. But See, a religious wife said, why don't you, why you do that? But the loving wife says, let me pick up his shoes or let me pick up his clothes. Because he'd been working hard all day. Hmm. Religious love can never see that it doesn't love. It just... got to look you got to look anybody here got to look anybody in here can anybody can roll the eyes anybody can talk without speaking Somebody in the back makes a noise. Your mama turns around and looks at you. <laughs> but it wasn't you. You pointing to somebody else. Everybody pointing to somebody else. She's still watching you. This could be husband and wife. It doesn't matter ever how the rose is. But when you come home, you shouldn't have to face Judge Judy every time you come home. Oh. What took you so long? That's religious love. No wonder it don't work. It has no tolerance. It has no care. It has no love. It's not free love. Somebody gets us something, it's, a, it's the wrong color. No. There's no freedom for love to express itself. See, the Old Testament, you love God in a particular manner. And if you didn't love God in a particular manner, in a particular way, you would die or it would be canceled. You had to bring sacrifices a certain way. Had to be done like this. And I understand the whole thing about decency and that type of thing. But it's still, it's still this forced concept. Huh? And sometimes we get married. And I'm linking these two together. Because either we're married, been married, thinking about doing it again. Thinking we're great lovers. But the truth is we're religious. You can't tell somebody how to love you. You can't tell me how to love you, says the Lord. You can't tell me that I don't love you just because I don't give you something when I know you don't know it, but I know when I give it to you, you're going to mess up your life. Hmm? But you're going to come to church and not sing just because I didn't give you that promotion, just because I didn't do this for you. 
only thing Satan is good at is questioning love. And here's the thing. Some of us think we're real good at it. Hmm? We tell our children, you know you can't lie to me. <laughs> Satan is the father of lies. <laughs> uh, uh, hmm? How many of you think you got that great gift of discernment? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Satan thought he had that great gift of discernment. Huh? Oh, yeah. He thought God was holding something back. Always finding fault with love. Always finding fault with, with the life that God gives us. Huh? And granted, some of the things we've done... What we received was mild. You don't even realize life showed you a favor. But no, we have a problem with it. So that says we're still religious. We're religious. Hmm? We may sit together. Might be some couples sitting together today. Because it's law. It's law. I remember one time, all parties are not here. There's this couple, evidently, I don't know, they, they come to church one day, maybe they had a little beef between each other or something like that. One sat one place, one sat another place. So this godly woman, full of the love of God, decided she's going to go talk to the wife. And say, you should be sitting with your husband. <laughs> but she couldn't tell me what I preached that day. <laughs> we think we're wonderful Christians. If we're wonderful Christians, we know how to mind our business. And if we did do something, it would be out of love. And it's because the Lord freely moved us to do that. Hmm? Do you love freely? See, some of you would struggle to worship in church. Why? Because you're so religious you can't be free because you think there's a certain way you've got to worship. certain way you got to worship. If somebody gets excited and run. Huh? Mother Teresa has returned. Huh? You don't understand that the, that the person that's getting excited in God and running could be a serial killer that lives next to you, but the Lord gave them life. Because <laughs> Jesus says, those who have been saved for much, rejoice as much. Mm. 
which might say some of you that don't rejoice it makes you wonder if you're saved from anything <laughs> a good question what are you saved from can you tell me what did God save you from? And when I say saved you from, I'm not talking about your next door neighbor. I mean, what inside of you did God save you from? And if God saved you from something, that means that that something is still in your life, but God is still saving you from it. Marijuana is not a one-time sin. It is a continuous sin that follows you around. Because you have learned the secret of Satan's dark secrets. If he saved you from quarrel, that means there's always that temptation to quarrel. So tell me, the beloved and the saved, what are you saved from? We like to think, I'm saved. Well, I'm just, I saved. Paul says, I'm saved. I was the worst of sinners. <laughs> so, since the title, the worst of sinners, has been taken, I suppose your title is the best of sinners. Your sin was so mild, you can, you don't even have a name for it. But God freely loved you. And you know what? He loved you when you was an old sinner. But sometimes we forget that, you know. And it's, it's amazing how we can find free love, but we go back to forced love. We was freely loved and delivered and saved by God. But after we get cleaned up a little bit, now we want to go back to forced love. Hmm? See, in the Old Testament, you worshipped around this earthly temple or this earthly sanctuary, and you had to do things this way forever. And this is the way we do it. This is the way we do communion. This is the way we do tithing. This is the way, you know, we, we do worship. This is what instruments we use or don't use. This is the way we do it. And then we come to the new temple, which is of the, the spirit of love and the spirit of life. And we realize we got some more freedom there. But sometimes we even make a religiousness out of that. So we had an earthly temple. It was just a copy and a shadow of what was to come. So it's disappeared. It's not going to come back. We don't need it no more. Now we got a, a heavenly temple, one that's in heaven, but it's just a contract. It's not a real building. It's a contract. Because that's what the temple represents. Because in the temple, in the most holy place, is the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And you know why it's in there? Because it's a contract. You lock contracts up. That's something that some of you Trinidadians forget. You, your, your, your mother, your father gives you the deed to something and, and you... 
You should have put it in the box and locked it up. And then you could get through it. So it's a contract. Some of us, you know, not only in Christianity, some of us are expecting, you know, that the temple is going to be built again and we're going to go over there. Yes? So I don't know, maybe you like the lamb chops. I don't know. <laughs> and then some of us think we're going to die and go to heaven, but think about it. You really expect to see a temple up there. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because God and the Lamb is its temple. Then we shall know him. And we shall speak to him. And we shall speak face to face. And we will see his face. No more temples. No more contracts. What I'm saying is all these years we, we have a relationship with a contract. You don't know the bank. Hmm? You don't know the bank. Honest communion you have with the bank is when they're having, you know, free wine or something to big depositors or something like that. A relationship is with a contract. And some, that's what religious love is. Another way to describe religious love is you got a relationship with a contract. A, a contract that's in heaven. It was never on the earth anyway. That was just a copy but so we could physically see it. Right? Some of you may have a, a, a marriage license, a, a marriage certificate on a wall. That is a contract. You got it there so you can see it, but anywhere 15 cents if you made it yourself. It is only a copy of the original that's locked away. So our relationship with God, when we are religious, we just have a relationship with a contract. The Bible says wash feet. The Bible says have communion. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. You ain't got no relationship with God. You got a relationship with a contract. But God's ultimate desire is that you would have a relationship with Him. And not a forced relationship. That there would be a love. But it's not like marriage. It's not 50-50. It's not this. But it's free. A love that's so great that no matter how much you, you struggle or how much your flesh beats up on your, or how many times you fall short, you give your best and God gives you his best, but God can't help it because his best far outweighs anything you can do, but he still gives you his best. You, you know what preaching is? Yes, we should come to church. We should have that fellowship. We should encourage one another. We should drink the same spirit. It will empower you. It's a lot better than the friends you hang out with. But you know the truth what church is? It's a marriage counseling. That's what preaching is. Preaching is marriage counseling. I'm teaching you bitter old women how to treat your husband in heaven. And in that statement of bitter old women, I'm talking about men too. 
Yes, you are on the couch. I'm the counselor. The way you're treating God is not right. Quit measuring everything. Now, if you have a religious concept about God, I just messed all your religiousness up with those statements. Hmm? Yes? Because right after this service, I'm going to bathe myself in olive oil. Because I'm going to be, you're going to think about that all week. What does he mean, marriage counseling? Some fiery arrows going to be coming my way. I'm going to soak my feet in olive oil. No, I don't have to use no olive oil. All I have to believe is God got me covered. Because that's the truth. Think about it. What do we learn in church? Quit mistreating God. Quit accusing Him. Quit blaming Him. Huh? And quit trying to live up to His love and just be loved. Quit trying to earn it. Listen, the more you experience free love, the less tempted you are to sin. But the more that you feel like you fell short of God and, and you got to catch up and you got to make up and you got to do something to just to get in decent standards with John, just to be Peter, you know you ain't not going to... And, 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 and that relationship with Jesus, you, you know you're not going to be John, but at least maybe you could be Peter, but you got to catch up. You don't have to catch up. It says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands it. He does know when you're not even trying. But he does know when you're trying to love. You ever try to love and just mess something up? I'm not talking about the times when you're angry and you try to go back and put your husband or wife in place. Uh, you ever do that? You're fighting with your husband or wife or your friends or somebody or maybe a leader or your boss. You know, you're fighting with them. And you, you walk away and say, let me be the better person. Let me go back and make peace. You ain't got no peace in you. That's why you get fired. <laughs> and you walk out thinking you Peter crucified. I was just trying to make peace. No criticalness was all in your voice. We know from the Bible that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. We are ministers of the new covenant, the new marriage. But he's a mediator of the new covenant. And we think that means God is bad. And Jesus is trying to sympathize with us. And he really knows the Father is kind of a little too demanding. And so he's trying to sympathize with you. Say, Just say you're sorry. You know, he's God. <laughs> But that's dotishness in your head because Jesus is the word of God. Any love Jesus got, God has. No. The mediator is to keep you from doing something stupid. You see, that, that term mediator is not a very good term. I, I, I don't know what the term might be in Greek 
but in English is not a very good term because if Christ is the mediator, it sounds like he's making peace between this person and this person. Christ is not trying to make peace between God and you. Christ is trying to make peace with you. Mediator implies counseling. And he is the mouthy counselor. But it seems like we're implying, okay, these two men are fighting, so let me be the mediator and, and work out their differences. God does not change. So the counseling that Christ does, which is the word of God, it's his son, the mediating that Christ does is try to get you out of your madness and realize that God has always been faithful and God has always been good. I don't care who died. God don't kill people, the devil kill people. I don't know who died. I don't know who stole your man. I don't know who stole your money. I don't know who got your position. But God has always been good. Mm-hmm. So, some of us think, no, nah, I'm upset with God. So you treat God like your husband or your wife. Mm-hmm. No. You're breaking the contract of love. So when counseling comes up, all right, I'll go. I'll listen. So they're trying to make peace between the husband and wife. If the husband and wife had love, you would need no counselor. You would not have to pay that money. But that's the way we approach God. See, it's all about the way we approach God. We first approach God by the law of love. You got to love me. And then we try to approach God by freely loving him and so we we show love but nothing happened in return Lord I I know I didn't have to do this the Bible didn't tell me I had to do this but I was expecting a reward (laughs) anybody ever give any free love and don't get nothing in return Uh, that's why some people don't know who their daddy is Gave free love and didn't get nothing in return. (laughs) That's religious. I want you to see this. I want you to catch this. Listen, if you can see this, our our focus last Sunday, today, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, our focus is love. But I want you to understand that once you understand God's love, then your pockets will be filled and your life will be filled with blessing because God wants to love you. Even if, it's, even if you're struggling to get it right, he wants to love you. Yes. Hmm? When John said, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved, John wasn't saying that he was the worthy one. He just said, man, Jesus is so loving to me. Wow. Huh? Wow. Isn't it amazing in this house? You know it exists. Isn't it amazing in this house? Some people would think, the prophet loves me. Yeah. Yeah. But some would think, nah, prophet loves them more than me. 
But you're a liar. But how am I going to love you if you believe I'm showing favoritism? How am I going to bless you? Huh? How am I going to give you a house or a car or a promotion? How am I going to do that when you think I'm showing favoritism? I want to bless you and you say, no, you don't like me. Okay, I'll give it to somebody that likes me. And another way, I mean, you could preach it in different ways. When, but when John says the disciple that Jesus loved, it doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't say the disciple that Jesus loved more than everybody else. He says the disciple that Jesus loved. It kind of implies that, but but isn't that the truth? Isn't there some people that just feel like they got a, a monopoly on God? Don't you hate that? <laughs> yes, my little devil. Because for you to even think that they got a monopoly on God is means you already judging God of showing favoritism. Huh? Don't blame God if, 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 if your, your sibling is always loving on God and you standing back. Huh? Don't blame God if somebody else is giving to God and you ain't giving nothing and God receives it. Huh? Because what you're asking me to do is to rebuke the person, rebuke their gift, and wait another 10 years for you to bless me. Whenever you think I'm deemed worthy, you think only in marriage you're accusing your, your husband or wife? Huh? You do it at the workplace. Somebody get a promotion. You say, God, you love them more. Why, 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 why? Huh? Think about it. Hmm. Hmm. God, they don't even go to church. Hmm? Lord says, I know. They leave me alone. Only the Lord opened the doors for his enemy to come in and bring complaints. And I wonder, is this a sanctuary of love or is this a courtroom? Is this where we come and freely love God? Without accusing him because somebody got out of a, a nice car downstairs and I ain't got no car. Let me talk to God when I get upstairs. Let me talk to God. Some of you always want to talk to God. Let me talk to God. I'm sorry. I got to pray about this. I got to pray about this. The Bible talks about being a blemish at the love feast. This is a time to come into worship God and just love on Him, respite, and no matter how how it was during the week, God sees, God's going to fix, God's going to restore. No, we think it's courtroom. This is where I bring my complaint. 
I'm not married yet, Lord. You know how old I am? Do you even remember my name? You know who I am? I'm not married yet. I'm getting older. Huh? My eggs got gray hair. Lord, you promised me a sports car, but I'm 60 years old. Uh, no, we become the wife the Lord wish would leave. Anybody know a wife that we wish she would leave or a husband we wish they should leave? And don't even let me talk about the couples who stay together because they don't want to be the one that walks out the door. Mm -mm. But secretly you're praying that they leave. Uh, and I've known in some marriage, one of them would say, I'm not going to leave them, they'd be happy. I'm going to stay right here. And the attitude of some Christians, it makes me wonder, are you just there within a standoff with God wanting Him to leave you first? You ever say, Lord, why don't you just leave me? You don't even say, leave me alone. <laughs> and you're watching God because you, you know. I forgot if I was talking about God or marriage. You, you know. I know you're up to no good. I, I, I know you're going to cheat on me. I know you're going to give somebody else the blessing. I know my miracle ain't going to come through. I know you're going to give the healing to somebody else. I know you're going to give the word to somebody else. As you wish, honey, sweetheart, sugar baby. Uh, we have so many brides in filthy gowns not ready to be married not ready to have that relationship not ready to come out of that religiousness and have that intimate place that God desires so much where we would be face to face God would love to just to be able to talk to you without you you know turning red or blue whatever the color you might be <laughs> see it's easy for God to tell when white people get angry at him because they turn red 
I was, what happened? <laughs> yes, we got red and blue. Yes. Mm? It, it, it's like the Lord wants to, how many times you, how many times you go out on a date prayer with God and you get vexed and leave? Now be honest. How many of you gone to prayer and got vexed and left? How many times you gone to prayer and get vexed and leave? Or maybe you, maybe you know you were too afraid of hell so you didn't really show it. But you was praying and somehow or another in your prayer faith wasn't operating and, and you just... <sighs> Or maybe you went out on a date. We're talking and, and your mind wanders. <laughs> Would you marry that person? <laughs> Anybody see the comparison? Yep. Uh, see the comparison? Huh? What if you went out on a date? A husband and wife to be or a husband and wife that is or a husband and wife that used to be. You went out on a date? They're on the phone. No. Are they watching somewhere else? And you're trying to connect with them. But we do that in prayer. You know why we get distracted? Go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Go to the bathroom. Have you ever been in prayer? Now that you brought the subject up. Have you ever been in prayer? Have you ever been in the restaurant? Got to go to the bathroom. And you never come back. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. think about it. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. <laughs> you ever been in prayer? And, and sometimes, as soon as you go in prayer, you have to go to the bathroom. And then you'll get up and go to the bathroom, and the next thing you know, you got dinner and lunch already cooked. You know what that's like? That's like going to the restaurant on a date. And they say, excuse me, I gotta go to the bathroom. And they never come back. <laughs> this is the way we are. This is not the way God is. But here's the thing with God. So you get up and go to the bathroom, you don't come back. I knew this traveling salesman one time. And uh, he was used to driving all over the places by himself. So him and his wife went on vacation, so he drove. And they pulled into a, a gas station to get some gas. She went inside to get something. True story. He left. <laughs> he left. Hour or two later. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he, he brought his wife. <laughs> so he had to turn around. Hour or two later. Hour or two back. Well, maybe he broke some speed limits. To get come back to get her. And she was still there waiting. (laughs) 
But see, here, here's, listen. Here's God. So many times you've dumped him. So many times you've abused the relationship. He knows you. He's never stopped loving you. But you just let God. God don't mess up. But you just let you think that God messed up one time. Don't see in church for six months. Year. Two children later. <laughs> but he still loves you. So if you'll embrace this teaching this week, not only will your love towards God increase, but now you're going to open the door to your financial blessings, all the blessings in your life, because you realize God knows when you try. He made a promise to you. And no matter how good you get at being you, He will always bless you. He will always take care of you. He will always watch over you. There may be some correction along the way, but He will stick with you. He's not ashamed to be called our brother. He is perfect. His love is perfect. Huh? You're upset, you're frustrated, you're bitter because you're not. But here's the thing. God's not judging you. How do I know? His word said so. Here's the thing. The only thing Satan is good at is making you believe God don't love you. Making you believe God hasn't forgave you and he won't forgive you. Making you believe that you're not good enough or you have not added up. Making you believe he's still holding things against you. That's what Satan is very good at. He's also pretty good at administering punishment. So I know if I start prophesying, I keep going. <laughs> so I go, we're gonna have some prophecies next service. Yes. If you love me, two services won't be too much. Hey, <laughs> listen. Prophecies, uh, unless God is just trying to show you something and prove something to you, because sometimes prophecies will come to build your faith. That is, if your faith is buildable. I've seen people get blessings and prophecies come to pass and they still don't believe. Hmm? 
if you will understand this about love. And this is our, our shortcomings about love. That we test love and we test it and we test it and we test it. And the Bible says, and Jesus said this to Satan. Don't test the Lord your God. Don't test his love. Believe in his love. Believe in his love. If you believe in his love, his love will justify itself. Uh, you see this wonderful scripture? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Hmm. Hmm. Means the contract is over. Hmm. But you know, this can happen, and it can begin to happen. This, this second marriage can begin to happen in this life right here. Huh? Where he dwells with us. How many times we kick God out? How many times we make him sleep on the couch? How many times we throw his clothes out? How many times we burn his clothes? How many times we kick God out of our heart? Isn't it interesting in the book of Revelation? In the book of Revelation, it says he stands at the door and knocks. Is that true? Yes. Anybody know the book of Revelation? Stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens the door... Right? Is that true? Ah, listen, this revelation going to blow you away. Is that true? Ah, somebody could find it if you wish. In the book of Revelation. Hmm? I think it's... Which church is that? Is that the seventh church? Sixth church? Seventh church? Seventh church? I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. Yes? Sound familiar? Yes. Right? These words, this is a messenger. This is an angel that sent a word to a church. Meaning they sent the word to believers. Anybody follow me? People that already believe God. People that already said, Lord, come into my heart. He still ain't catching it. Believers. People that are supposed to have Christ already inside. But he, he sends a message to them. And sends, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door. The message was not sent to unbelievers. It was sent to believers. But yet Jesus is on the outside knocking on your door. Some got to wow. Some are wholly pretending. And some still don't get it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, send this message to the church. The believers, the ones that spoke to have God on the inside. Why is the Lord saying, 
Hello, I'm on the outside. Because you put him out. You put him out. And even though you put me out, I still outside knocking. You put me out. You put me out. You're a believer, but you put me out a long time ago. But if you open the door. We're in the second covenant. We're in the second contract. If anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But there's a day. And we also know in the Bible there's a group of people that hid their faces from the face of him who sat on the throne. This is about learning to approach God. And the way you learn to approach God is by not judging Him and not being critical of Him because of the karma in your own life. And realize that if you do what's right, that's what the Lord said to Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Not if I do what's right, if you do what's right. That means if you will come to me believing that I forgive your sins, I overlook your weaknesses, the ones you have confessed and the ones you can't even see. Especially that and about being a great lover. And I will bless you. Hmm. Yeah, love don't get no deeper than that. Hmm. To make you scratch your head a little bit. Jesus dying on the cross is not the greatest act of his love. Think about it. Yes? Let me bathe myself in olive oil. <laughs> Jesus dying on the cross is not the greatest act of his love. The greatest act of his love is after he died on the cross for you and you still act in dotish but he still accepts you. Wow. <laughs> he gives us more grace. <laughs> it's an everlasting love. It's an everlasting love. If you would kick Satan out and keep Jesus. If you would kick Satan out of your brain. And how do you know you got Satan in your brain? Quite simple. There's only one thing he's good at. is making you believe that God don't love you. There's only one thing that Satan is really, really good at. It's making you believe that God don't love you and you're not good enough to be blessed by him. You need to kick the devil out of your brain. You need to realize those negative thoughts is not the wisdom of your ancestors but the devil of your ancestors. 
Am I talking to anybody? How many times you question God's love? Hmm? Did I do this right? Did I do that right? Hmm? How come I'm not blessed? You're not blessed because when you say, how come? When you say, how come I'm not blessed? You're still under law. Because you're assuming, when you say, how come I'm not blessed? You're assuming that you've done something wrong. <clears throat> and therefore you're not blessed. So when you say, how come I'm not blessed? You are quoting law. You're saying, I must have done something wrong and God won't even tell me what I did wrong, so I'm cursed. <clears throat> when you're saying, why am I not? You are talking reasoning, you're talking law. Why am I not married? Why am I not prosperous why am I not rich why am I not this you talk in law as if though there's a formula as if though you got to do something you got to bribe somebody to get the blessing from God see the question is see that's Satan in your brain how come it's not that we already know the answer because you don't believe when you say how come you're the bitter wife or husband is always asking these questions but you think you're the great lover everybody understand we all say that yeah. why 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 how come that's law that's law you think well if I'd done this or if I hadn't done this so I, God must be penalizing me for this According to your faith. It's because you don't believe that God could so love you. Hmm? I see her. She there. Hmm. It's law. How come? He loves you. He wants to bless you. And this is what God knows. You can't force God to love you. Any more than God can force you to love Him. Because hmm? you know if God does something nice to get you to love Him, that don't mean you love Him. Hmm? But God loves you. He first loved you. Huh? If you just believe that, everything in your life will change. Including your pockets. Everything changes. The one thing Satan is good at is making you question God's love. Not only his intimate feelings toward you, but what blessings he might give you. So if God doesn't give you a new car, but he gives you an old car, you reason that that means God don't love you enough to give you a new car. Everybody follow Everything, everything God does for you in your life, you put a price tag of love on it of how much God loves you or how much he don't love you just like you do with your husband or your wife or your employer. You, you always measuring love. You always got these scales. Uh, maybe God gave you an old car because you can't drive good and if he gave you a new car, you'd kill yourself.
Maybe he gave you an old car so it would break down and your rich husband would stop and help you fix your car. You know somebody got married like that. But not you. So, do you ever stop on the side of the road and just raise your hood to pretend? Huh? You're going to start doing that? Uh, you can always shave your legs too if you like, you know. Raise the hood up. <coughs> hmm? You know, some girl mechanics these days, you know, Victor, huh? What? Uh-huh. I would like to think nobody's going to try that this week. Yes, Nicole, come. And I would like to, I would like to think, Colleen, that nobody's going to pull down a devil deal so that your motorcycle or car breaks down this week because you, the prophet said he was prophesying to me. I received it. I, I received it. But, but I can't fake it. So I, I can't just break, I can't just pretend that it's broken down. But I can make a devil deal with Satan, of course, that my bike would stop and my car would stop. Uh, yes. Yes. Roger, you, you ever see any beautiful women broke down on the road? You stop and help. Uh, but you slow down and, nah, that ain't too ugly. I keep going. I'm sorry. Nah. That's not worth my brake pad. Nah, I don't even stop there. I go to the next one, you know. Oh, Lord. Churchill's going to be full of broken down cars this week. <laughs> stop working at it. Believe in it. Hmm? And stop doing things for God for show. Do things because you love Him. Right? Do it because you love Him. I'd rather have $20 in love than $100 that I got to do something to get it. $100 nice, but if there ain't no love in it, you just keep going down the colors, even if it goes down to red. And if you can give a dollar in love, all right, you, you give that in love. God would see that. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you to be here Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Listen, your whole life will change. Yes. Uh, and prosperity will begin to come to you once you realize it's in His hand, not your hand. Amen? Amen. Amen.